Good morning, North Point. How are we? <clears throat> Don't cuddle the panda. I find this funny because uh, I feel not a lot bad for Jake. Is Jake in the room? No, good. I can talk about it. I don't feel a lot bad for Jake. He's a fantastic guy, but I like to give him a hard time. And it's funny because I know that when we speak up here, we put a lot of time and energy into, into crafting something that we think God would have us say to people and like uh, that would cause you, uh, us, to think and may ask some questions and have good discussion and somehow fuels um, our love for Jesus and our passion. You see where I'm going with this, right? And the thing that came out of his talk was, isn't that great? <laughs> just, sorry, this is me. This has nothing to do with anything. It's just what's in my brain right now. So kind of funny that that's the, that's the memory that'll come from that. Hey, um, we're going to talk about something today, but they, uh, whoever they are, they say married couples uh, or even couples in a long-term relationship really fight about three things. What are they? Do you know? Money? Money? Kids? Oh, that was a nice way of saying that. I was wondering if anybody was going to say sex in church. <laughs> Money, kids! <laughs> I get it, right? It's been recorded. We're online. Somebody in their home right now is screaming sex, and that's weird, right? Um, money, kids, and sex. They, they say this is what couples fight about, but in reality, uh, it's really never about money or kids or sex. It's always, always about communication. If you dial in communication, any topic is, is easy <laughs> to talk about, even if it's a delicate, difficult, frustrating topic. It's really about learning to communicate well. If you want to have a better marriage, become a master of great communication. Shift gears for a second, move out of marriage, and move over to the arena of parenting. You're thinking about parenting your kid. When, when Emily and I got married, uh, before we had kids, we had done youth ministry together for almost a decade. So we had gotten to see all kinds of families parent their kids. It was phenomenal. Like if, if you're uh, new uh, to this, you don't have kids yet, or they're brand new, like I say, get involved. Volunteer in youth ministry for a while because you get to see families who do it really, really well. And you can be like, hey, we're going to do those things. And then you see the other side. <laughs> Right, And you can learn this. We felt really blessed because we learned a ton of stuff. And so over those years, we noticed that there was like one key thing, one commonality to all families that were doing it really, really well. I don't know if you could guess what that is because we might have a ton of different guesses, but, but it's not the type of schooling. Right? It wasn't like public or private or homeschool. That, that didn't necessarily matter because there was kids all across the board in those. Some were doing well, some were not. So that wasn't, sort of the, that wasn't the common thing. Right? It, it, it wasn't sports. It wasn't the number of family vacations. Uh, there was only one thing that seemed to make a difference. You know, it, it was interesting. It wasn't even having a two-parent intact, intact family that seemed to make a difference. That's kind of a mind blower right there. Right, because you think, oh man, if it's two parents, and that's and that does make a difference in a lot of ways. But 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 for this, we saw single parent families that were knocking it out of the park with their kids, and we saw a number of two parent like intact families that that were not. You know what the one key thing was to families that were healthy and doing really well? They learned how to keep their kids talking to them. They learned how to communicate 
well with their kids. When I say communicate, I'm not talking about yelling at them or interrogating them or talking at them. I'm talking about talking with their kids. This was a game changer. The families that seemed to be the least healthy were the ones that somehow had convinced their kids that if their kids talked to them at all and shared what was going on, that it was gonna go poor for them. So they just learned to lie and hide and keep stuff secret. And so it's really interesting. And so when we started parenting and our kids, you know, get out of that baby stage, because in baby stage, you're just trying to figure out how to keep them alive. So when they got a little older, we we're like, man, we just want to figure out a way to keep them talking to us. And there's, there's a bunch of things you can do. We'll run a group on it and talk to the youth ministry team. They'll help you figure out how to keep yourself talking to your kids if they're still in that age, or even as they get older and older and older. That key difference was to keep them talking to you. One more shift. Not marriage, not parenting. Let's just think about employment for a second. You at your work, whatever level you sit at, whether you're on the bottom of the chain or you're running the show, whatever that is. One of my first uh, jobs when we first got married was working for Hydrex Pest Control. Yep, I was that dude that put on the rubber gloves and the rubber boots and the respirator and the long sleeves and long pants in the, in the 110 degree California summer weather and went around spraying for bugs of all types, right? It was actually a lot of fun as a job. Uh, it was some crazy stuff too. But you know what's interesting is that uh, my customers loved me. And it wasn't because I was the best pest control person on the planet, because that was far from true. And in California, you can't stop those little black ants from getting in your house. You just can't, right? You might stop them for a second, but you're never going to eliminate that completely. So you come out week after week, month after month, and spray for these things. My customers loved me. Do you know why? Like, the only thing I had going for me was words. I just used a lot of words with them, and I knew how to use them well. So, so I'd show up, and I'd knock on the door, and I'd talk to them, and I'd remember their name, which that's a miracle. That's because I was young, right? And, and then I might remember a couple things that was going on in their life or in their kid's life. I'd ask about that. Like, if you're a salesperson here, <laughs> you know that's, like, the thing, right? And that, that owner of Hydrix Pest Control had convinced me and had convinced us that we weren't selling pest control. We weren't selling chemicals. We weren't selling a service. We were really selling ourselves. And so the customers that stuck with us, man, that's because they loved their service rep. And our, and our boss convinced us that it was all about this concept of being a great communicator. So have you guessed where we're going today yet? What we're talking about? I want to talk about <laughs> talking I want to talk about this concept of communication. And, and don't tune out. Don't be like, oh, my gosh, this is like one of those seminars on how to communicate better. This is one of those talks on how to communicate better. But I, I think there'll be some stuff in here that's going to just blow your brain a little bit. Proverbs has a ton to say about communication. As I was just dreaming about this a few weeks ago, I was like, that's interesting that Proverbs has so much to say about how we communicate with each other. So that's what we want to look at today, this idea of how to communicate well, communication that helps us live right and well, and it honestly helps us just have happier lives. If we were to boil it all down into one idea, we might start in Proverbs chapter 15. If you have the app, the verses are in there, it'd be good for you to see these. If you don't, they're gonna go up on the screen, that's cool. If you have a Bible, we'll keep mentioning them, so pop them open. But we'd love you to see these. Proverbs chapter 15 Starting in verse one, if we just think overall communication, what's the point of it? This is what it says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch over the wicked and the good. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. This, this picture of wisdom, wisdom, wise communication, a wise tongue, it gives gentle answers, adorns knowledge, and it soothes. The opposite picture is this, this foolish tongue, this foolish communication that uses harsh words, gushes folly, is perverse. If we were to boil this down into one little phrase, I'd say communication from a wise person is always a benefit, and it serves to build up. But communication from a fool seems to always diminish and tears down. Wise people communicate for benefit. Foolish people communicate for destruction. What I want to do in the next 20 minutes that we're together is look at 10 keys, 10, I'm calling them 10 keys to amazing communication, all from Proverbs, that'll help us to communicate right and well. Here we go, number one. Number one, good communication promotes growth or instructions. Proverbs 16 says this, it says, uh, the wise in heart are called discerning, and gracious words promote instruction. The heart of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. This idea of a good communicator or good communication, it's gracious, it's, it's prudent, it's designed to build up or promote instruction. The goal of communication is always to promote growth. If we think about it in terms of relationships, what does that look like when you communicate with this person you're in a relationship with, a spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is? That, that communication should look like it's designed to build up. Maybe, maybe it's joking, maybe it's humor, maybe it's just constant affirmation, maybe it's, it's gentle admonishing, but it is this idea of building up. Good communication is never about tearing somebody down putting somebody down, or making people feel stupid. But all of us could tell a story, I'm sure, about communication that made us feel stupid. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was someone who uses this phrase all the time. I'm just kidding. And you felt so small in the midst of it. See, that's not good biblical communication. That moment, <clears throat> if you're in a relationship, you're married, that moment when you uh, are in a, I think Rick calls them spirited discussion or something, an argument, and you have that moment where you forgot what you were arguing about, that's how you know it's turned south. Because it's no longer about the thing. It's no longer communicating about the thing. It's probably about trying to win your point or somehow best this other per person. That is not good communication. Here's the second thing, 10 keys to great communication. Good communication is that argument is not the goal. I know it sounds like the first one, but I think there's something different here. Check out Proverbs 17. It says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Proverbs 26 says this, as charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is quarrelsome person for kindling strife. This may sound weird to some of you, but I think some of you will be with me on this. I know a bunch of couples where one person in that couple seems like their goal is to stir up stuff. I always wait to hear the chuckle because that's how you know if anybody's with me on this, right? Do you know couples where it seems like somebody in there, their, their goal is just to stir up stuff? Maybe it's not couples. Maybe it's friendship groups. Maybe you got a group of friends and there's one person in that group that just absolutely seems to love drama, and they just love keeping it 
They say spicy, but they don't really mean that, right? They love to stir up stuff. They find things to fight about. They tend to pick on the other person for the sole benefit of like causing an issue, not, not like a fun teasing thing, which there's a, va- a fine balance to that, but, but it's this idea of causing problem. And then these couples sit in a counselor's office and they're confused why they don't get along or they're not intimate with each other. Like, are you, are you kidding? You spend your time looking for stuff to stir up and then you're wondering why it's not working. Well, it's interesting because this idea of being a good communicator stops by knowing how to drop a quarrel and not just trying to stir up stuff. There's nothing wrong with spirited conversation. We're gonna have heated conversation. If you're a passionate person, you're gonna be like fully engaged in that and that can be a good thing. But if you're doing it for the sake of arguing, that's not good communication, that's something else. Here's the third thing. Good communication is measured. Proverbs 17 says this, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. That's a really interesting proverb. And I think there's so much truth to it. It's like even a foolish person is thought of as wise if they just don't say anything. So if by chance you're sitting here this morning, if you're out there this morning and you're like, I think that I'm foolish, stop talking. <laughs> like you'll get something out of that. That's just an interesting idea, right? Proverbs 21 says this. It says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. See, a good communicator uses reticence well. That word reticence, like write it on your hand, put it in the notes. Like you, that's a word you want to know. Reticence is this amazing ability to remain quiet and to know when to remain quiet, when to stay silent. Some of us are old enough to remember the Kenny Rogers song, right? You gotta know when to, I know when to, know when to. <laughs> There's a lot of folding going on out there. <laughs> I wanna play poker with you guys. Anyways, you gotta know when to stay silent. Write that ability. And it does not mean that you never share your opinion or you never share your idea or you just don't share a thought or you just, you know, I'm never gonna say anything. It's not saying that at all, but it does mean that you are sometimes slower to do that, especially if you're like me and you're quicker to do that normally. Like this concept of reticence, of being able to control yourself in such a way where you're like, I'm just gonna try and stay quiet for a minute. If you struggle with this, I struggle with this. I've told you before, I'm a verbal processor. The way I think is out loud. And so if I'm in a meeting or having a conversation uh, and, and, and it's a good conversation, I just like, and a thought pops in my head, like if it doesn't come out now, I could die. At least I feel that way. Which is why sometimes when I preach, I go on like this tangent and I'm like, sorry guys, that was me, right? Because if it's in my head, I feel this need for it to come out. And that's the opposite of reticence. And if that's you, if that's me, here's a really practical trick that helps you stay silent, makes you look smarter than you are. <laughs> and I use it, I've gotten away from it recently, but I used to use it all the time. Take a notepad with you into that conversation. That sounds so dumb, doesn't it? Take a notepad, and when that thought pops in your head and you're gonna die if it doesn't come out, just write it down. And, and a couple of really interesting things happens. One is people think you're taking notes, and they're like, wow, you're not. <laughs> Isn't that cool? But the other thing that happens is that as you're writing that down, some of those things you realize throughout the conversation no longer matter. Somebody else said it, or it went a different direction than you thought it was gonna go, but man, in your head, you were so sure it was gonna. I just write it down. Sometimes it's just good, because like if you're getting, if you're like me also, where you're getting a little bit older, and you're like, you have this thought, and you're like, man, if I don't say this now, I'm gonna forget in five minutes, right? 
write that down and you remember in five minutes. This is like this amazing tool or put it down or however you get it down, but take that with you. All idea, whole idea being, being the ability to stay silent is an incredibly good tool to communication. All right, here's the fourth thing. Fourth thing, good communication stays open-minded. A good communicator stays open-minded. Proverbs 18 says this, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Isn't that rich? Fools love hearing their opinions come out. But the wise are trying to figure out, okay, I want to get some understanding here. Going into a conversation closed-minded with the idea that this is the way it's going to be, this is what we're talking about, that's a dangerous place to be. Sometimes, because uh, proverbs are proverbs, you know, this isn't like this magical formula for every single conversation in life. Sometimes there are things that you need to express in a conversation. There are some conversations you need to drive that conversation. If you're an employer and you need to have a difficult conversation with an employee about a very specific thing, yeah, that's probably a time that you're going in with a very strict agenda and you know where that's going to go. If you need to confront a loved one, about their addiction issues for the 12th time, you're probably coming in with some pretty clear expectations of how that conversation is going to go. But if we're, every conversation we enter into is always closed-minded, this is what I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to do, and then we're out, that's just a dangerous place to be. 99% of our communication is not about those more complex conversations. We want to use that sparingly. And liberally, we want to walk in with open-minded opportunities, right? Open to the possibility that God is going to teach me something in the midst of this conversation. This crazy idea that maybe, just maybe, I don't know it all, right? In the midst of this conversation. Man, this is such a powerful tool, especially with your kids. Especially with your kids. It's hard as parents sometimes. We walk into these conversations with our kids and we know we've got to tell them something or direct them in some way. Or maybe, maybe it's even a conversation about, like with your 13-year-old, about big things like politics, right? Or, or, or deep religious questions. And you're like, well, I'm just going to tell them the way it is. But, but imagine a different scenario where you walk in open-minded and you listen to their still forming opinions on the world. Yeah, I know other kids, and I know that they don't know what you know. They don't know what I know. But imagine what God might just teach us out of the mouths of our kids. And imagine how our kids begin to learn that communication is a good thing. Imagine if we use the word with our kid. You know what? I think you might be right. I'm, they could die on the spot, right? <laughs> they might stop talking too. How cool would that be? Just fun, if nothing else, right? This idea of being open-minded in our conversation, not just with our kids, but with our spouses too, and I hope this is easier to figure out on this level, but the open-minded in our conversations with our spouses. Guys, we struggle with this. Guys, men, men, boys, men in the room, we struggle with this. I think more than ladies do, and ladies, if you struggle with this, I apologize to leave you out of that. I didn't mean to, but typically, stereotypically, guys, we have this thing in us where we just want to fix stuff. And that's a good thing. That's like, I think that's God wiring. It's a good thing. But sometimes when we enter into conversations with our spouses or somebody we're in a relationship, we still have that mentality of we want to fix it because we love them. Still probably a good heart. <laughs> 
But then we have this next thing where we know we're right. That's where we're crossing some stuff. And so in that conversation where, where we're married to this or, or, or long-term relationship with this, this beautiful woman who's incredibly smart and capable and, and, and can figure out things on her own, and maybe she just wants to vent, to, to talk it out a little bit, to hear you affirm. Maybe she just needs to get some words out and we start, well, if you just do this and this and this, it's really not that difficult. We're fixers, right? Guys, we struggle to enter into those conversations open-minded very often because we think we're there to fix it. Well, she's telling me about it. Obviously, she has a problem that she can't solve, and so I'm gonna help her because I love her so much. It's good heart. It's just the wrong application because she is incredibly capable. And when she needs you to step in and kill, destroy, or build, she'll tell you, right? <laughs> Honey, will you kill them? Yes, baby, I will take Well. Will you help me figure this out? I, I, here's what I've done, and I don't know another option. And all of a sudden, then she's like affirmed your manhood, and you're like, well, okay, I will come up with an option, right? This is cool. But sometimes we miss this thing because we don't stay open-minded, guys. We, we struggle with that. Here, interesting, a, a, a way to stay open-minded in these conversations is really our fifth key to good communication, and it's this. Good communicators listen first. Proverbs 18 says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Proverbs 29 says, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for them. We haven't unpacked the word fool yet, uh, at least not this morning. <laughs> and that word fool is a really um, painful word in the Bible. Like our, our translation, it says fool, and in our current language, we're like, oh, you're so foolish, and it sounds like, oh, that's funny. But it means idiot. There's no way to translate around that. It means you stupid, right? It's kind of almost offensive, right? And, and so it says there's more hope for an idiot than for someone who speaks before they listen. We all know the adage, right? You have two ears and one mouth. You listen twice as much as, as speaking. And yet we, we struggle, some of us struggle with that. We struggle to listen first. And not just listening for when they take a breath so you know it's your turn to talk, but actually listening actively and engaged. The key practical here, and for guys who, some, sometimes this tends to be us guys a little more, not always, but sometimes. A key practical to this, this is worth you showing up and putting on pants this morning for this one right here. Become a great question asker. Become a great asker of good questions. You want to stay actively engaged in listening because you want to be listener first. Ask good questions. Did you know that Jesus asked 308 questions in, the, in, in, his, in his years in ministry on earth, on the planet, it's three years that he was, he was plugged into ministry. And these are just the 308 we have written down. I absolutely bet it's, it's way more than that and those just didn't get written down or they got like maybe mixed into the same question. Or, but Jesus asked 308 questions. Do you know how many he was uh, asked of him? 183. Isn't that kind of wild? Like Jesus is in your living room and, and he's asking you more questions about you than you are about him. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about? Like if you had Jesus just sitting there over coffee, he's just peppering you with questions. And not like interrogation questions, not, not like, like, he's, like he's just pushing you or something, but he's genuinely interested. 
in you. We got to get good. We got to get even better. If you're good at it, even better at asking genuine, open-ended questions. Again, we're not interrogating, but questions that demonstrate a genuine interest in that person. I just got to say, people generally suck at this. Like, like we're terrible. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in, and, and if you're different, cool, good for you, like, great for you. If you've not had this experience, like, cool for you, talk to more people. I've been in so many conversations with people where I'll ask them a natural question, like, oh, so are you married? And they'll answer that question. Oh, you got kids? And they'll answer that question. Oh, what do you do for a living? And they'll answer that question. And they don't ask that question back. You with me? It seems so bizarre to me. It's like, that's like adulting 101. That's like basics of human conversation. And I want to blame the younger generation. The problem is it's not them. <laughs> it's across the board. It's like the simplest thing on the planet to ask that question back. But we just don't care about people. Caring about people, becoming a good listener first is all about, I think, at least a really practical way, is asking great questions. All right, here's, here's number six. The sixth thing, uh, good communicators listen well. Not only listen first, but listen well. Proverbs 19 says this. It says, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. Proverbs 25 says this, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Boy, that's a really poetic, mouthful way of saying listen to advice. Listening well is this concept of listening to advice, recognizing the value of right ruling, rebuke, right truth, that kind of stuff. This involves staying active and being engaged in the listening, but... I think this is where it's a little different because it also takes into account knowing who to listen to. So not all advice is the same. Not everybody's opinion matters the same. And I know that's a really unpopular idea in our current culture. Where like every comment on the social media feed is exactly worth the same. And maybe I'll never be asked to speak again up here. But no, it's not. It's not. Like it's just not like... Y- most likely 99% of you in this room, unless you played as a professional quarterback in the NFL, your opinion on if Tom Brady should have thrown or done a running play probably matters less than the retired NFL coach, NFL quarterback, right? I'm nervous now. I don't know if we agree with this. Right, your opinion on a social media post or, or sharing it with your friends uh, on a, a law enforcement officer's use of force matters less than a 30-year retired cop. I'm not saying you don't matter. Don't hear that. Don't turn off the video just yet, right? Because you can have opinions about things, but not all opinions matter the same. And where that becomes incredibly important to you is to knowing who to listen to. And it's so important. Are they for you or against you? Are they knowledgeable in that area or are they ignorant in that area? Does their life play out that advice or are they just like peddling ideologies? Does this make sense? Like not everybody's opinion needs to matter the same in your life. When you take advice from people who you listen well to, matters. Caution about who you listen well to. Well, I want to take a minute and just break and ask a question, a little rhetorical question. You don't have to answer this out loud. Are you surprised that good communication has so much to do with listening? 
I was kind of surprised. I mean, that's not really like, uh, uh, like I'm just asking you because you didn't know. I was surprised as I was powering through Proverbs. I'm like, man, so much of this communication thing's about listening. That's interesting because communication is different than lecture. Communication is about that process, that idea of listening and responding. Lecture is about throwing words out. We, we say this a lot from here. Like, we, we love um, Sunday mornings. We love worshiping together. I, I like preaching. You won't let me again, but that's okay. I, I like preaching, but, but it is a challenge because it's a monologue. Like, I'm, I'm tossing stuff at you, and we're as a church trying to figure out how to do that better. So we have North Point Plus. You can throw in questions and challenge back or, or ask questions or tell us what you think and that kind of stuff. We have sermon-based questions in the app notes that are designed for you to work with in your life group or your lunch group or whoever you're with because we don't love the idea. Communication is not a one-sided from here to there. Communication is this relational process that happens as conversation goes back and forth, and the American way of doing sermons isn't designed for that, we'll try to work around that, do it a little better. But certainly in your homes and in your workplaces and in the worlds that you live in, communication has so much more to do with the relationship that's being developed. And so there's got to be a listening component as well. I just find that interesting. That's free. There you go. Number seven. Seventh key to amazing communication uh, is to know when to stop talking. Let's let that hang for a second because we've all had that moment probably. To know when to stop talking. Proverbs 23 says, do not speak to fools for they'll scorn your prudent words. Do not speak to fools. Uh, Reticence that we talked about a few minutes ago is knowing uh, when to kind of wait to start talking. This is the other side of that uh, pendulum. It's knowing when to stop talking talking, knowing when to say when. In, in preaching world, when you, if you go to preaching school, we call it landing your plane. You've maybe been in sermons before where it's like that guy did not figure out how to stop the conversation, and he is just circling that airport, and you're like, please stop. And sometimes pastors, not here at North Point, because we're way better than this, but sometimes pastors, <laughs> and never Rick, sometimes pastors use prayer as a way to keep that plane circling. I just pray that sermon again, right? Because we don't know how to land our plane. In a conversation, it's kind of the same way. Know when to land your plane. Children don't understand this. Children keep pounding their parent for the same thing over and over again until they get it. Can I go out and play? No. Can I go out and play? No. Can I go out and play? No. Can I go out and play now? No. Can I go? You see what this, right? They don't know when to stop conversation. It's part of being a child, but some adults are no different. Right? Some, some element of knowing when the conversation is no longer going to be productive. It'd be you and your spouse are at a stuck point. Right? And so you're like, hey, I just don't think it's going to be productive. Let's pause this for a minute. Maybe uh, it, it is that you're talking with a, with a foolish person. And you're like, they are just not going to hear this. And so you just know when to stop. Or maybe you've hit a point, maybe at work or in business or somewhere where you're like, uh, you know, I'm not going to win this one. Just that ability to know when to stop talking. I call it the, tact, the tactical eject. <laughs> Knowing how to just stop and be done with that conversation. Sometimes, maybe with a spouse, it might sound like, hey, honey, uh, I feel like we're not gonna get anywhere on this tonight and I love you so much. Let's table this till tomorrow after work and we'll pick it back up and have a conversation. Finish this conversation, right? That's a tactical ejection right there. Because you know, if you keep pounding that conversation, it's not going to happy places, Right? Maybe at work, it's this, it's this picture of, hey, um, I don't quite understand, but you know what? Uh, we got lots to do. Let's pick this up in a couple of days, right? That tactical ejection. Maybe it's the phrase, gotcha. I 
clearly understand what you're saying. See, that doesn't mean that you agree or that you think they're right or anything else. It just means, got you, I got you, I got it. I, I hear what you're saying. I know what you're saying, all right? It's interesting, specifically about the concept of fools, because it says here, don't speak to fools. There's no way to translate that out to make it sound nicer. It says, don't speak to fools. We've, we've mentioned this book a hundred times from the platform. I feel like we should be getting kickbacks at this point from this book called Necessary Endings. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud, Christian psychiatrist, researcher, does some great writing. Necessary Endings, his, his basic premise, if you've not heard us mention it before, is that there's three types of people, uh, the wise, the fool, and the evil. And that middle type of person, is well, he gives some ways to uh, figure out how that person is or who that person is. But he says, with the fool... He says, stop using words. That's a very biblical concept. He says, because it's not going to go anywhere. They're not going to hear it because the fool spurns wisdom. They, they don't want to listen. He says, with the fool, the only thing that works is deadlines and consequences. And I guarantee right now, some of you are thinking about your work environment. <laughs> and you're like, yep, they need that. <laughs> I wish we'd stop telling them over and over. The fool doesn't learn with words. Deadlines and consequences. It's interesting because um, in, in Matthew uh, 7, Jesus says this, this really interesting little tidbit at the end of a, of a longer talk. He says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And, and, and the picture here is that some people are just not ready for, for your wisdom. And to know when to stop talking is a really good tool of good communication. All right, number eight. Number eight, good communicator is calmly passionate. That might seem counterintuitive, two different words there, but they're calmly passionate. Proverbs 25 says this, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. The ability to persist patiently with calm passion, it seems like an oxymoron because we just talked about a minute ago, no one to stop. Now we said, no one to keep talking. But again, Proverbs isn't this magical like one-off. Well, here's the one magic thing, just do that and you'll be good forever. Like this is so situation specific, right? Sometimes calm, consistent pressure is what it takes to get what you need. This isn't the smashing and grabbing. This isn't you being a bull in a china shop. This is not you bulldozing somebody else. But it, but it is you understand that sometimes we want to be consistent and, and, and keep uh, coming back to that conversation. Maybe it sounds something like, hey, um, if you got a minute, I'd like to revisit our policy on that's a really calm, passionate way to come back into that conversation. Or maybe it sounds like, hey, you know what? I'd really like to revisit our decision on this, right? Or, hey, can we talk about this again? Maybe that's better in that marriage relationship, right? And I'm not suggesting that you ask mom one million times for that. That's not what this means. But it is this idea of recognizing that sometimes you don't have to just walk away because you got a no. A good communicator tactfully knows when and how to bring it back up again in a calmly passionate way. It's not a license to be a jerk or a pest, but there is some ability to be persistent there. All right, number nine, number nine, a good communicator doesn't beat around the bush. Do you know that phrase? We still use that phrase, doesn't beat around the bush, right? Proverbs 27 says this, better is open rebuke than hidden love. And as I got to this, I was so happy. I was like, finally, one that I'm natural at. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, I got one out of 10, all right? This idea of not beating around the bush. Americans, we beat around the bush. 
Americans are bizarre in this unique situation. So I got a lot of friends in Poland and other countries. Poles, Poles do not beat around the bush, especially about uh, topics that they feel are comfortable talking about. Weight, like your weight, how big you are, is a very comfortable topic for them. They have no problem being like, oh, you put on 15 pounds, like as soon as they see you. I know this because it's happened to me, right? Poles are very comfortable talking about how much money you make. So they're like, oh, how much money do you make? And you're like, oh, I'm American. We don't talk about that. And then you try and answer that question by 15 minutes of using no numbers anywhere in the conversation. Right? Well, I don't make as much as my neighbor, but I make a little more than the neighbor across the street. But I'm not poor, but we're definitely not rich. I'd call myself somewhere in the middle class, somewhere between lower middle class and upper middle class, but not the middle class, the middle class. But, but I have enough money. to. I don't have enough money to buy, right? We beat around the bush as Americans. And, and it's interesting because for a culture that can be so cruel at times, like we're so afraid of hurting somebody else's feelings that we then just aren't truthful very honestly with them. We end up being dishonest. We use so many words that, that either communication doesn't happen or miscommunication happens. So we end up in those situations where I never said that, but I use so many words to not say that, that they're pretty sure that I said that. And when we play the tape back, I go, oh, I guess, yeah, okay. I used enough words. The idea of just shooting straight with me. That's one of my favorite phrases. Just shoot straight with me, right? We can say, I know this will blow your mind. We can say hard things in a nice way. And again, not a license to be a jerk or to be mean. What's your motive? Why are you saying that? We can say hard things in a nice way. I'd rather have truth with a rough delivery than smooth flatter that lies to me. This is, this is one of the reasons I love working with first responders. See, first responders in their day, their day job, their everyday, the thing that they do all the time, like they don't have time for flattery or BS. Like they're moving quick. They're just like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. And so they love just shooting straight with them. This is one of the reasons it's really hard to be married to a first responder <laughs> because they don't have time for all that kind of stuff. They're just telling you right that. No, you're fat. Get, don't wear that. <laughs> I love working with them because... Super easy to talk to. Sometimes, not all the time, hard to be married to. Good communicators get better at telling the short, simple truth. All right, number 10, last one. Uh, good communication <laughs> reads the room. You know that, we know that phrase, right? A good communicator reads the room. Proverbs 27 says this, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. <laughs> Isn't that great? And that picture in your head, you have it right now, 2.30 in the morning, right out on your driveway. I love you! Sorry on the video, that probably just blew something up, I don't know. You're wonderful! Right? Like, that's not cool. Like, you idiot! Reading the room, right? Knowing your audience, knowing to say the right thing at the right time. I just talked about shooting straight with people because that's, that's a key communication piece, right? It, it is the ability to, to, to not beat around the bush, but it looks very different if you're talking to a junior high girl or a 30-year sergeant from DeWitt Township PD. The way you speak to those two people, that's reading the room, man. And if you've not learned this yet, have some teenage girls in your world. That sounds wrong. I don't know. Volunteer for a Girl Scout troop or something. I don't know. Get your own children in the room and spend more time talking with them. Have your daughter invite 10 girls over for pizza and a sleepover and just stay around for five minutes. You learn really quickly how to read that room. I tell people all the time that this is me 
with tempered sarcasm. And I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, your poor wife. That's right. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, the, the people that taught, that taught me, that tempered my sarcasm were junior high girls doing youth ministry with junior high girls because you don't know where their line is. So they're like super sarcastic and throwing all this shade at you one minute and then like you think you're joking and then you broke them. <laughs> I hate you, you're so mean. And I'm not, I'm not mocking or putting down, like this is my life story. <laughs> and I gotta learn, I gotta be a little more careful with, with how we use that. Reading the room, knowing what language your hearer speaks and speaking that language. Husbands, I think this is what takes a good husband and makes them great. Wives, I think this is what takes a good wife and makes her great, is knowing how to speak that language that your hearer can hear. So there you go. 10 principles from Proverbs to get better at communicating. They aren't the only components. Like We could probably pull some more out, but these were the 10 that just captured my attention and a great start and seemingly being the ones that repeated over and over again in Proverbs. I, I'm not gonna suggest you tackle all 10 of them. I'd suggest that, that probably in our time together, like one or two just stuck out to you. Like maybe just one that you're like, that's interesting. I want to spend some more time working on that. Maybe it's as niche as I want to spend time working on that one in that environment. Like I'm going to be a little less quick to speak at work meetings. Or I'm going to get a little bit better at, sh at not beating around the bush with my spouse or with my kids. Or I'm going to get a little bit better at reading the room with my teenage daughters. Right? Maybe it's just one of those that you think, I'm going to work on a little bit. Here's an interesting twist in my mind to all of this. These 10 things seem to hold up true when we think about our relationship with God as well. Hear this. When we talk with God, we want to grow. We're not just trying to argue with him into giving us what we want. When we talk with God, we need to be measured and open-minded. It's less about us being sure he knows what our issue is and more about what he wants us to know. When we talk with God, we have to become better listeners. We've got to craft time into just listening and knowing when to stop the talking. When we talk with God, we don't have to beat around the bush with a bunch of flowery language. We can just come to him with authenticity and a genuine heart. Isn't that cool? Amazing truth for being a better communicator from the book of Proverbs. So we learn how to live well and right. Amen?